Howdy friends, welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave. This is the Townzilla X-Pod. You can get more at escapingthecave.com. And I've got a Substack site set up. <laughs> Isn't that special? Not really, there's nothing on it. I, I set it up about a month ago. I'm Todd, by the way. Hi. In the middle of the night, I had this uh, wild idea. I'm like, all right, man, I know what I can do. I'm going to get off a blogger, and I'm going to get off a WordPress. Don't do anything on WordPress. Hey, well, I'm going to get off all these other sites, and I'm going to build this Substack site inspired by uh, Andrew Sullivan and Taibbi and all these other folks who've been canceled, and they're running over to to Substack. I just want to make a living that way. I don't want to make a living writing. I'll never make a living writing. But I thought it would be a good place to go to sort of make sure that the people who are getting my stuff, that was a weird sound, who are getting my stuff, I don't know how I did that, who are getting my stuff, really want it. They're really interested in the material, so I'm not spamming people, right? But I need a delivery mechanism, because social media sucks. <laughs> not sure if you've noticed the theme of the show, uh, but social media is, uh, I, got a, uh, I got a whole thing on this coming up. I've been off of, pretty much off of it. Eh, for the most part, except for the page and the group, which is now shuttered. But I've been off it, except for the podcast, for about seven months now. I want to get into this at some point and do an update on this. The digital detox updates, remember those? I've got another one coming for you. Anyway, as far as Substack goes, to get my material to people without using Facebook and without using Twitter, without having to engage the random rabble, Oh, the righteous preachers. Everybody thinks they're being consulted when they're not. Uh, random people just drive by consultations. You suck, Todd. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. Listen to what I have to say. That's what Facebook and Twitter, which is fine. <laughs> okay, it is. If that's what you're into, knock yourself out. I, I, I just don't, I don't want to do it anymore. Okay. I feel like I'm all over the place. I probably am. Anyway. So the point with Substack was you can subscribe via emails. So if you really want the material, if you're really into the material, if it interests you, if you like the way I write, you like what I have to say, or I'm just if, I, if it makes you think and you want it in your email, whatever I post something, that's the way to do it. So therefore, there's a delivery system, a delivery mechanism in place that is not tied to the Zucker Beast or Typhoid Jack over at Twitter, right? It's sort of community building, I guess. You can, you can start comment threads. You can let people comment. You can let just subscribers comment and let the, the random wildlife go fuck themselves. <laughs> you know? So they can't comment. There are a lot of things you can do with that. I thought it was really neat. So I set it up the beginning of December, shortly after the last podcast here, and I was like, okay, I'm going to start my essays. Woo! Start reading my Mencken. Get my, get my inspiration back. Right, go read some Chris Hitchens, one of the best SASs, essayists ever. George Orwell, I've got Didion up here. Joan Didion, I've talked about her a ton. If you haven't read her, I kind of saw myself doing that because I've got so much material here. I don't know what to do with it. I can't organize. I, I don't have that researcher background. I've talked about this before. I don't have it. I don't know how to put all this together. I feel like, I don't feel like, I do have enough material here to write a thick-ass book. But I don't know how to put it together. So part of the problem is I sit down and I want to put together something that's comprehensive. It makes sense. It's linear. 
right? I don't want to be, I don't want to sound like some babbling fool going all over the place as I'm wont to do. I often do. Anyway, I go off on tangents. I don't want to do that with the prepared material, right? I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to connect, connect all this stuff. And, and part of the problem is, is that it's not done. Every single day I'm adding something to it. This is a massive topic of conversation, of exploration. It may be never ending. I don't know. It feels that way. Anyway, point was, uh, I figured I would go to Substack and then just say, to hell with all this. I don't have to put all this together. Uh, you know, H.L. Mencken didn't have a philosophy he was trying to put out. I wasn't trying to put, put forth some sort of, you know, um, a comprehensive, linear, chronological guide to the universe or anything. Nah, he just wrote what he felt like writing. Right? That seemed like a really good idea. And I sat down to do it. I can't publish anything. <laughs> I don't know why. I got a pretty good idea. But I can't seem to be, I, I can't write anymore. I can write all day in a notebook. But when it comes to putting it into the word process or go through the editing process and, and then posting it, publishing it to you, the listener, or the viewer, the reader, the follower, whatever it would be, it's really difficult for me to do that. I, I, that troubles me. That really bothers me a lot. I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I want to say that I don't understand it, that, I, that it's all a big mystery, that it's some just, I don't know, out of the blue development, but it, that's not true. I know exactly or have a pretty good idea where it's coming from. And I have another problem here, as I mentioned this, because I don't trust you. <laughs> as far as this goes, I don't trust you. I don't like that, but that's where we are. I think this has something to do with hitting the seven-month mark on the digital detox. Just been using the page, have the, the group that I was using a little bit this year. That's gone. I should have known better than that. It's another story. But so for seven months, nothing. And I feel like something is, is, is getting back to normal. It's strange, but I think that's a symptom of that. I don't know. 100% for, I'm not 100% sure. It's like, oh, no, I don't want to do this anymore. It's been a really bizarre several weeks, my friends. I've intended to sit down and, and, and podcast. Well, the first few weeks I did. And then it occurred to me with the politics stuff post-election, I wanted to be basically, I think, just step away and watch what was happening rather than speculating on what could possibly happen between then and basically this week. Just see how things went. Was there going to be a peaceful transition of power? <laughs> smooth transition of power as well. Two different things. Peaceful over here, smooth over here. So far, it's been pretty peaceful. It hasn't been smooth. That's what we've seen. But I wanted to find out because sitting there at the end of November, a few weeks after the election, there was so much uncertainty. We had no idea how things were going to go up until the Electoral College cast its vote, what Trump was going to do. Had no idea. 
we are off the friggin' map. Terra Incognita. That was pretty obvious back in November. And I, th I thought it was a good idea to just step back and take a, take a deep breath and watch things happen. It occurred to me, uh, middle of the month, after the uh, Electoral College vote, I thought that was the end. I thought, ooh, finally, finally, this is it. This is the, this is the final straw. Now we're going to, it's a done deal, right? The Electoral College has cast its vote. Joe Biden was elected. There's nothing that can happen now. Silly me. Oh, my God. <laughs> we got a hell of a week ahead of us this week again. <sighs> but when there was nothing happening, nothing happened after that. Heard some squawking, I guess. But uh, Trump's, I don't know, fanatics didn't go out in the streets. Wasn't any violence. And I started thinking to myself, well, Todd, <laughs> maybe they're all had no cattle. Hey, they just ain't got it in them. Maybe they're all, maybe they just like to talk. Maybe they just want everybody on their, their Facebook friends list to think they're badasses. But when it came time, they ain't got it in them. A friend of mine talked about this. I don't even name him. John. A couple years ago. When I first got this inkling, when I, when I first, it became powerful enough for me to say it out loud that I thought there was violence on the way. This is probably four years ago. He's like, now nah, they'll never do anything about it. They're just loud mouths. They'll talk big, blah, blah, blah. But these, these rednecks are never going to do anything in the real world. I looked at it and I'm like, what? You sure? You think so? Well, I heard his voice last month. And I had to say, you know, I got to say it. You might be right. But in retrospect, looking back over the last year, on one of the things that I said that I think I got right, you be the judge for yourself. And I said that the only way that Trump could win this election is, is if it were razor close. A, just a razor thin margin was the only way that Trump could win. And it would probably only be an electoral college win again. He probably wasn't going to be able to win the uh, popular vote, but it would be a narrow margin of victory this year. And that the only thing that was going to save us, the only thing, and this is not an original thought of mine, a lot of people have said this over the last four years, the one thing that would save the aftermath from turning into just a, an American star-spangled clusterfuck was a significant win by Joe Biden or by the Democrats, by whomever ran against Trump in 2020. We may have gotten just that. That may be the one thing that prevented all of this from melting down Three Mile Island style. Chernobyl style. Seven million in the popular vote. <laughs> replicated Trump's like a landslide victory in the Electoral College this year. It was a big win. I've talked to several people, both online and in person, in the last couple of months about their thoughts on the election, whether or not there was fraud, whether or not they think Trump actually won. Conservative folks. Every single one of them I talked to thinks there was a significant amount of voter fraud. This is backed up in the polling. 80% of Republicans think that some sort of election fraud took place, some sort of orchestrated conspiracy to defeat Trump, to cheat him out of this election. 80% think that took place. I've said before that you do not need to uh, actually hack an election, to tamper with an election, to destroy a democracy. All you have to do is create enough doubt within it. 
enough doubt with enough people in the veracity of the outcome. That's all you have to do to destroy democracy. Democracy and trust, they're hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Everybody I've talked to who isn't a Democrat, isn't a liberal, think that something happened. But the one thing they all say, pretty much to a man, not all, not 100%, there's a few uh, wackadoodles out there, but most of them say they don't think it was enough to overturn the election. This is the buffer zone. This is the thing that I think saved us here, was that the total was big enough to compensate for this, <laughs> whatever you want to call this campaign, this disinformation campaign, Trump and his supporters, Giuliani and his... Trump and his cast of idiots. We had a buffer zone. We had a cushion, enough of an electoral cushion to absorb that impact. If this election were determined by 10 votes, 10 electoral college votes, if it was within 10 or 20, or some of these states were less than 10, 15,000, what do you think would have happened? What do you think the last couple of months would have looked like? Do you think it would have looked the same? I don't know. But had we had a closer election with the narrative that Trump and his his cronies were putting out, that are st- they're still putting out, about the election being stolen, cheating, all that with Dominion, in a close election, I think we had violence. Something. You do too. You know how I know that? I want you to think back to Christmas morning when you got up and turned the television on and saw that a bomb went off in Nashville. What was the first thing you thought? What was the very first thing you thought? Did you think Al-Qaeda? Maybe. (laughs) I want you to raise your hands. I'm looking. How many of you thought that this was some sort of a domestic strike? That's what I was thinking. I thought this was politically motivated. Something to do with the election. Actually, my first thought... I was thinking of the weather underground. Wasn't right-wing extremism I was thinking of? Uh-uh. Left-wingers, they're the ones that like bombs. Well, <laughs> except for Timothy McVeigh. I guess both sides like like their bombs, but leftists are known for their bombs. Look at the uh, the Wall Street uh the Wall Street bomb in the 1920s, the anarchists. That came to mind as well. And the fact that no one was killed, that there were warnings going off, this RV will explode in 15 minutes. Here's Patula Clark on K-bomb. That made me think it was leftists. But no, what did you think? When you first heard about it, what did you think? Did you think it was political violence? If you're honest, I'll bet you a lot of you did. And that should be an indication where you think this is headed yourself. Deep down inside. Not talking about what you have to believe to get through your day, get through your week. To not be swimming in anxiety. But if that was your first thought, we're swimming in the same current, my friends. Be yourself. Just be sure it's your best self. So here we are, 2021, brand new year, thank God. Happy New Year, by the way. I didn't mention that right off the bat, did I? Happy 2021. Were you happy to see 2020 go out the door, fly out the door, 
I have a lot of problems with advertising. I've talked about how much I hate advertising repeatedly on the show. But I told the girlfriend the other day, there's something that I appreciate. As much as I hate advertising, commercials that make me laugh, I love them. Geico is famous for this. Geico, you get the gold Tonzilla star. One of the better commercials I have ever seen is that Match.com commercial. You've seen it, right? Where you have Satan (laughs) matching himself up with 2020. And they go out on a date. They continue that into 2021 as well. There may be one other year that I was happier to see go than last year. 2021 has to be better, right? I hope so. Happy New Year. I, I would have forgotten about that. But here we are. Looking forward this week. I didn't want to talk a lot about politics, but the problem is with the material that I'm talking about, propaganda, the social media disease, it dovetails with politics. In fact, that's where it manifests itself most often. You can't get away from it. If you're going to talk about this material, this is where it's going to be seen. This is where you're going to experience it collectively. Is in the political system. And the informational anarchy that I talk about, the data overload, all that stuff makes itself visible in the political process, in political media. Who cares if there's informational anarchy as it pertains to the Kardashians? No one gives a rat's ass about that. Well, maybe you do. I don't give a rat's ass about informational anarchy in the realm of Kim Kardashian or Kanye or anybody else. Unless he's running for president, then I care. But you can't get away from it. You can't completely avoid the topic because that's where it funnels itself. That's where that's the point of propaganda. There is social propaganda, sociological propaganda, but that's political in nature. So you can't avoid it as much as I want to. I don't want to ever talk naked politics again. I don't ever want to talk about the merits of Donald Trump, the merits of woke flakedom. I don't ever want to talk about it. I don't want to argue about that shit anymore. But politics has to be brought up. It will always be brought up on this show in the context of propaganda and social media because that's where it shows its ass. And here we are again this week. We have to talk about it. I don't even know how to phrase what's going on in uh, Congress this week. They're going to vote against certifying the Electoral College results. And they're going to debate... And debate, and debate two hours on every state that's being challenged. Like, what, a, what the fuck ever? It's not ever going to go anywhere. But here's the thing. It's in front of us, not because it's real, but because of the disinformation campaign. Because of the power of propaganda and spin. Because of the power of these alternate factual realities. These, these parallel universes in which we live. My liberal friends cannot comprehend how people on the other side can believe this crap. I Honestly, I can't comprehend it either. It seems so obvious to me. But after talking to some folks on the other side, I get it. Because that's what they're hearing. That's what they're ingesting. That's what they're digesting. That is their perceived reality. Is it reality? Of course not. Perceived realities are not realities. I've talked about that a number of times. You don't get your own reality. You get your perception. We all share the same reality. 
right? But it doesn't seem that way. The perception within these informational echo chambers are completely different from one another. They're mutually exclusive. The bad guy is the opposite in each echo chamber. This is where I could spin off and give you a 20-minute tirade on uh, agitation propaganda, manufacturing hatred, evil versus evil, <laughs> Hitler versus Hitler, as Taibbi put it. Demonization, the, the uh, internal enemy. This is where it could go. It has gone there. If you've listened to the show long enough, you, you know where it's going. You know what I'm talking about. But that's it. And this is the thing that sows doubt. This is how it's done. Doubt. Again, it's not necessary to fully depose and replace the national myth to destroy a democracy. You don't need to take over. All you have to do is manufacture just enough doubt to trigger a cannibalizing state of perpetual and self-feeding factionalism. Self-feeding and perpetuating. Perpetuating. Self-fueling. Factionalism. Got the media, got the factionalized media, the factional media. Oops. You think I know where that cord was by now, wouldn't you? You just throw that stuff into the informational ecosystem, the echo chambers take it from there. Self perpetuating, self feeding, and yes, cannibalizing, because we are cannibalizing ourselves with it. It's not just a, a matter of this side or that side, both sides have this going on simultaneously. It's what a lot of people seem to have forgotten or don't understand or don't choose to understand. I hear this a lot. You know, part of the reason that Trump has such a receptive audience is because of what's been happening with the other side's extremes over the last few years. Yeah, Trump may be crazy. He may be a lying piece of shit, but at least he ain't that. That's the attitude a lot of people take. And people don't want to, people who want to just point their fingers at Trump's followers and point their fingers at Trump and point their fingers at Trump's media asking, how do they believe this stuff? Refuse to look in the mirror because they have they refuse to see and acknowledge how distasteful they have made themselves, how agitating they have made themselves in the eyes of the other part of the country. It makes it really easy to say, Can I believe this? Yeah, I think I can. You understand this inherently. Instinctually, you understand this likability matters. Nothing I, I learned real late in life. <laughs> Thanks to my friends in Chicago, the comedy scene, though, for, for pointing that out to me. If you have turned yourself into a piece of agitation, if you're intentionally trying to be disliked, it makes it real easy. It makes it real easy for someone else, someone who hates you, despises you, to listen to what someone else has to say about you, doesn't it? You know that. This goes back to grade school. It's still there. It's all you have to do, man. Just manufacture enough doubt. Trigger that factionalism, and the people's own paranoid and bloodthirsty monkey brains are going to do the heavy lifting for you, man. They really want to do that. That's the thing. That's where we are. That's what we are deep down inside. We want the fight. We need the fight. We want the tribalism. We want the factionalism because we want to be and we want to perceive ourselves as being on the righteous side against that evil over there. God, it's so simple. It's so basic. People won't look at it. People refuse to see it. That's the kind of self-examination that we need. 
good luck with that. And George Washington, I mentioned this before, you've heard about this. In 18th century, I don't know, Dwight Eisenhower, Edward R. Murrow, you know, Eisenhower talked about the military-industrial complex in his farewell address. Edward R. Murrow talked about what is going to happen to the media when the news uh, uh, divisions became profit centers. But again, Washington warned about factionalism in the 1700s, the 1790s. He talked about it being the death of liberty, and unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, his nightmare scenario it might indeed prove to be an inevitability with this form of government. Contrary to the people's ridiculous assumption, reason is not our natural default setting. We are wired to deceptively, deceptively chase social status, not truth. Signaling righteousness and virtue to the right people. That far outweighs the hard work of actually being virtuous. This is an old theme, kids. Hasn't changed, and this is precisely why these social media platforms are the cesspools they've always been and always will be. (sighs) Is there a solution here? Is there? (laughs) No, there is. There is. But it ain't going to happen. Triage and mitigation. You may think that our redneck Trump-supporting friends are all hat no cattle, as I mentioned earlier. You may have been breathing a sigh of relief through the month of December in that dead zone without remembering that we went through something similar in 2016 after Trump was elected. There was this dead zone, mid-November to right around the first of the year, where everything was just, everybody was exhausted. The woke flakes, the liberals were licking their wounds because Donald Trump had gotten elected. They couldn't see that coming. They never saw that coming. They could not deal with it. They had to go hibernate. They had to recuperate until around the first of the year. Well, here we are, the first of the year. 2021 is upon us. And now we've got this this shit show in Congress coming up this week. How do you think that's going to go? I'm not making predictions here. We'll, We'll see. There's a huge demonstration planned for Wednesday in Washington, D.C. as this thing takes place. Trump supporters. We'll see how this goes. This could just be a big redneck group hug. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Eventually, the trajectory of society is headed in the wrong direction. This isn't getting any better. It's not just going to clear up. It's progressively getting worse. It's gotten worse since the election. If you can believe it, it's gotten worse since the election. 80% of Republicans think an election illegitimate to some degree. And what do you think is going to happen in four years? Let's just play a game. Do you think in four years, if Trump's reelected, could happen? Do you think Democrats then are going to accept the veracity of the vote? It doesn't matter if it happens Wednesday. It doesn't matter if it happens in July. It doesn't matter if it happens in 2025. The day is coming where the powder keg is going to explode. It has to. It has to. Unless there is some way to release the pressure from the tank, 
it's going to explode eventually. I've used the term informational anarchy repeatedly in the last couple of years. That's where we're at. And informational anarchy has castrated any concept of external truth. External truth still exists, but is functionally impotent now because we exist in separate informational universes with mutually exclusive laws of factual physics. And the result of this is that our decomposing, enlightened citizenry, they choose to believe whichever contorted narrative belongs to the herd they've already joined. They're not doing any critical thinking, neither side. They're just adopting, they're ingesting back to the propaganda, my friends, back to the internal narrative, back to the doctrine. The root of indoctrination is doctrine. If you have a doctrine... (gasps) I got to tell you, the bottom line is that in any discussion about facts and truth, this is the literal definition of willful ignorance. Crutching on your indoctrination is literally the definition of willful ignorance. That's the plague, man. And in this case, whichever strain you've contracted really doesn't matter, does it? It's been a really weird six weeks. This podcast (laughs) may be pivoting because I'm really bothered by the fact that there is not a lot of hope here. I I said in the last segment, triage and mitigation. I've I've said this on this show before, that I don't see any hope here. I don't see any possibility that we're going to be able to solve this problem. There is a solution, but it's impossible. It's impossible to pull off because it takes so much insight and introspection. Self-examination and self-analysis has to be done by so many different people. They have to become aware of the informational anarchy, the informational and data overload. They have to become aware of their own thought processes. They have to immunize themselves as best they can or at least become aware of how they are psychologically exploited by propaganda. The same way they're psychologically exploited by advertising have to think about how they think. We have to think about how we think. Who has time for that? Who has the energy for that? Who wants to do that? It's easier. And it's a hell of a lot more fun. To just take your daily nourishment, your daily propaganda nourishment, as Alul called it, take his daily... Uh, what was it? Take his daily portion. Mmm. There's some tasty propaganda for me. Thank you. I feel better about myself and my group now. 
<laughs> and then yeah, spit it out into the world, right? Turn yourselves or ourselves, we turn ourselves into uh, amateur propagandists. Pro bono propagandists. We're the ones. We're the ones that spread this stuff. Yeah, it's put out there by somebody, but it's up to us. We are the carriers once it's introduced. We do that intentionally. We do that purposefully. All it has to, all they have to do, whether they're in Ukraine or they're in Butte, is put it out there. We take it. We spread it. That's how this works. You can blame them all you want, but we're the ones that take it, and we're the ones that share it amongst ourselves. There is no social distancing going on when it comes to propaganda. I don't have a lot of hope here. I don't have any hope here. And it does. It eats me up. I'm more effective. I've always traditionally been more effective. It hasn't happened very often, and very rarely in the last 10 years. But when I'm supporting something, when I'm positively obsessed on something, this is a neg- what I call a negative obsession, a problem. The problem is is that there is no realistic positive solution to this. There isn't. You know, I've talked about that podcast you run divided attention. They're trying. They will fail because the problem is not our technology, the problem is us. It's the people because the people do not realize how they are being exploited. You can do whatever you want to Facebook. You can do whatever you want to Twitter. The only thing that's going to work is to shut it down until people understand what it's doing to them and how. And how to protect themselves. But what if they don't want to protect themselves? What if they like to fight? What if they like spreading the disinformation? I have a friend of mine on here. used to be a really good friend. He's a smart guy. I could show you some of the chats we've had over the years. He's not a dumbass. He gets on Facebook. He's a dumbass. Intentionally. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's the monkey in the jungle throwing his shit at the monkey across the river who happens to be jerking off. (laughs) He doesn't like that he's jerking off. So here, he's going to throw some poo. You get what I'm saying here? He's not alone. He's got a lot of company there. Now, it sounds like maybe I'm being judgmental here. Maybe I'm convicting. There's a jury of one. I get it. I've been there. I've done the same thing. I understand how this works. I understand how, it's, how it feels. I'm not without sympathy here. But because I have sympathy and because I have a degree of empathy, because I understand data overload and the other sort of paths to empathy that I've talked about, because I understand all that stuff, I realize how hard it is and I realize how difficult it's going to be to get people to do this en masse. That's, that's, that's why I have so little hope. It does. It's, it's a, God, that's toxic. I wish I had something that connected in a positive way that I could, could obsess on and start building a solution to this. There isn't one. I can't see it. I cannot see it. So the podcast may be pivoting at some point. I don't want to speculate too much. I have an idea where it might go. I don't have to change the name. I don't even have to change the theme. <laughs> 
It might do that. I don't know yet. I just know that I have to get back into this on a regular basis because if I don't, if it dries out again for any longer than a couple of weeks, I have to consider shutting it down. I haven't talked about the uh, six-month thing, the digital detox thing. It has been six months, seven months actually now, uh, since I've just been pretty much posting podcast material to Facebook and to Twitter. And it's had some legitimate effects. Long, longer-term effects that I really wasn't prepared for. Like, uh, just give you a quick, I'm not going to go too far into this just yet. I want to uh, give it its own space at some point. But one of the things is that I'm getting an idea of what it's going to be like when I die. <laughs> when you leave Facebook, it's a death. To those people with whom you only have a digital relationship on Facebook, you essentially die when you shut your profile down or kick them out or, or cut off ties with them. Cut digital ties. But it reminded me of when someone dies, when a friend dies, how they're top of mind for a couple of weeks afterwards. How you think about the good times, how you miss them. There, there's a hole there, right? But gradually, you move on. You get on with life. You think about them now and then. You think about them now and again, but you know, every week, every month goes by, a little bit less, a little bit less, and they're, they're sort of relegated to the past. They're relegated to the memories. It's life. It happens. That's, that's the process of grieving. It's death. The same thing happens, I think, when you delete yourself from Facebook. If you don't have an organic relationship with those folks, if you don't go see them, if you're not talking on the phone, they're not part of your real, actual life. The same thing happens. You die a digital death. And something else that I've noticed is the... <laughs> I think it ties into the, uh, the inability to post anything to Substack. But uh, I don't really know how to articulate this. This is why I want to get into it later on. But there's, there's this, this surge of organic... Um, like trying to get back out in the world, trying to focus on actual relationships, actual in-person friendships, as opposed to anything digital, anything electronic. I haven't felt this in a really long time, but the focus has been steadily increasing on moving away from these people, these relationships that are only maintained through digital channels and finding people locally in my actual organic life that I can look at that I can talk to, these people that I can look in the eye and listen to their voice, listen to the inflection in their voice rather than having to decipher their texts. <laughs> right? I had a great conversation with my girlfriend's dad the other day. Uh, right around, I think it was Christmas Eve, we were over there. And we are talking about Trump and all this other stuff, but we had a fantastic conversation. This guy, he and I agree on nothing. We we. We don't intersect anywhere, politically, theologically, nothing. But we have good conversations because we can sit there, we can look at each other, we can listen to each other talk, and we can find commonality. When I came home that night, I told the girlfriend that whatever happened there, this isn't the first time that's happened with him. It happened over the summer. I talked about it on the show. But whatever's going on there is the Rosetta Stone <laughs> That 
is the codex for how to communicate with people with whom you have very little in common and find uh, this common ground. And I don't think it can be done. I don't think it can be done effectively digitally. Maybe you can do it better than me. But I can do this when I sit down and look at a person and I like them. This goes back to what I was talking about earlier with that likability thing. If I respect you and I like you and I think you're coming from the right place, I will listen to you. I will talk to you. I will look for things that we can agree upon. These common little bridges that we can walk together, I'll find them. If I respect you and I like you and I think that you're actually trying. Otherwise, I don't want anything to do with you. You with me? That's the thing. That, that is so much easier to do. In fact, I don't think that I can do this digitally because I can follow you around <laughs> online. You can have these conversations with me one-to-one, right? Or you can pretend to be this person. You can pretend to be this virtuous warrior out in the public threads. You know, the public conversations that we have on, on social media. Oh, but I'm a stalker. I've talked about this. I'll follow you around. If I'm, if I'm suspicious, just a little suspicious, you're putting on a little show for me. I'll follow you over to Fox News and see what you're posting over there. I'll follow you around to your friends' profiles to see what you're saying to them. I've done this. Because you people, (laughs) you can't help yourselves. You cannot help yourselves. You have got to be in broadcast mode all the time. You make yourselves real easy to track and trace. But I don't think it could be done online. I'm very skeptical. I think the impression or the illusion of it, I think you, you can provide that or you can put that out there, but I don't think these real interactions, these real conversations, I don't think they can be done digitally. I think they have to be done in person with a voice. Even over the phone, I think, is it's more effective than text because there's inflection, intent. It's an actual conversation, at least when you're speaking with someone. But in person, when you have to look someone in the eye, when there is at least the impression of personal accountability, the person you're talking to is in front of you. That's how we evolved. I don't know what to think of these conversations with this man. They're good. They're really good for the most part. When we don't talk politics, when we don't talk naked politics, (laughs) they're really good. It is the Codex. It is the Rosetta Stone of refinding that commonality that we've lost with the factionalism and the tribalism. And if that's the case, to bring it home, this podcast might have to evolve. It might have to find a way to evolve into something more positive, or it might just have to go away. Because how many times can I sit here and say the same thing over and over again? It's the people. It's the people. It's us. How many times? There's a lot more material here, but that's what it boils down to. It's us. We make it possible because we don't care. In fact, it's worse than that because we like it. I'm still available for children's parties. Sorry. I haven't dropped that on you in a long time. It is us. 
and it is 2021, thank God. I'm happy. <sighs> Escapingthecave.com is the website. Substack, nothing there yet. Don't worry about that. Oh. <laughs> Twitter, <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> I'll try to be a little more regular with these things. I'm shooting for every Monday. I think Sunday is still a good time to sit down and record these audio masterpieces for you, the loyal Tanzilla file. I'm just riding this music bed out at this point. We got snow. We got ice this week. It's beautiful. I should have taken my camera out. I didn't. See, I'm a professional. I can ride out any music bed. I could talk up Stairway to Heaven right now. Another 90 seconds, but I won't. Until next time, so long. Have a great week.